0: Extra, extra, read the the loss of the, 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 the title. The loss of the title. The loss of the title. Extra, extra, read all about it. Extra, extra, read all about it. Extra. Introducing first one of the true outlaw promotions in wrestling history, Angelo Poffo's ICW, and the next thing that we're going to discuss. Is a promotion that was on its ass in 1981. Mike LaBell's promotion from out of LA. Extra.
1: Extra. 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 All, about it. It. Extra.
0: All right, so I mean, it really feels like we're delving into the deep recesses of like, <laughs> like who talks about this shit, you know? <laughs> anyway, um, ICW. This is of course uh, Angelo Poffo's uh, promotion. Um, before I go into this roster any, any preliminary comments that anybody wants to make about ICW?
2: Um, Savage baby my favorite wrestler ever uh, this is where he's, well not where he started really but uh, where he worked for it, uh, a long
1: time uh, I will say that El Brasario makes another appearance that seems pretty important <laughs> alright uh, I, I, yeah I don't, I don't think that there's we, we can cover everything uh, in the more formal sense. Okay. So let me let me let me yield let me yield to my gentleman from uh, the United Kingdom. <laughs> from the gentleman from the
0: UK. All right, Randy Savage, Lanny Poffo, Rob Garvin. That's <laughs> Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's wrong. That's uh, that's wrong. <laughs> I obviously made a typo when I was typing this up. Ron Garvin uh, of the rugged uh, Ronnie uh, variety, Hands of Stone. Uh, Bob Roop. Pez Whatley. Bob Orton Jr. Crusher Broomfield uh, aka One Man Gang. The Miser. And apparently that was Angelo Poffo in a mask. Uh, he would often work as the Miser. <laughs> which is an amazing sounding gimmick in my view. Um, Thunderbolt, Pat- <laughs> Thunderbolt Patterson. Rip Rogers, uh, George uh, Wieneroff Boris Malenko, Oxbaker in a very short run. The Sheik comes in um, for a short run. Uh, Gary Royal, Doug Vines, uh, Jeff Sword, Walter Johnson, uh, Rick Zata, the man from Spain, he worked as uh, <laughs> El, El Bracero or El Bracero, Rick Link, the great TO, Chief Tapu. Hoot Gibson, Big Boy Williams, Willie Monroe, and Gary Young. So, uh, I think it's your turn, uh, Dylan. What did you make of this? I think Hoot Gibson
1: is Robert Gibson. For, it, for what that's worth. Is it really? I, I think so. I think so. I could be wrong, but I I, I think that's who that is. Uh, don't don't quote me on that, but I I think that's right. I could swear that. I want to say I've heard Cornette refer to him as Hoot Gibson before, but I'm, I, it's possible that I'm imagining that. I think, I, don't think
0: I think Ricky Morton called him Hoot in that uh, recent interview that he did.
1: Yeah, I, I think that that is – I think that's who that is. So um, I, I wonder if that's the – that can't be the Gary Young from Texas, which is too bad because I love that Gary Young. Um, this is This is definitely an outlaw promotion, right? I mean – This is – and it's – you know what? The thing is, it's actually – it's not that bad from the perspective of there are at least a few guys who I think were immensely talented. Uh, Savage, Garvin, um, I think One Man Gang was immensely talented wrestler. I think Rip Rogers is is one of – really one of the best guys, to to quote Mick Foley, maybe the best guy who never made it, You know, in the sense that he never became a huge star. And I think Rip was a – actually really – Frankly, a great wrestler who just never got a chance to show how great he was outside of random shots here and there in smaller territories. Bob Orton Jr., who's a guy who people love and respect as a top hand. Um, You know, it's, it's really not that bad for a promotion that was, I mean, the most outlaw group, arguably, of all the outlaw groups. This was the group that was actually Threatening the lives supposedly Of, of uh, Memphis promotions and promoters You know, the, the guys that were You know, doing grandstand Challenges on TV yeah. Calling the Memphis guys phonies I mean, this is the The ultimate, really Of your uh, Of your uh, outlaw group In the sense that they They, they, they were they were an outlaw Not just because of the designation of being outside of the NWA Or whatever but also in the sense that they, uh, they, they used, frankly, outlaw tactics as a promotional tool. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I uh, this is not a terrible roster. I mean, I, it's, not, it's not great. Uh, and again, there's names on here like One Man Gang, probably. Uh, maybe even the most notable one would be One Man Gang, who uh, are Savage, obviously. But Savage meant a lot to the promotion but who were before their prime, uh, they did get, you know, they got a lot of value out of guys like Pez Watley and Rip Rogers who where other promoters never really did. And, and you could argue that Pez Watley was never going to be more than, than he was here. Um, I'm from Chattanooga, so I'm biased in favor of Pez for the record, but, but, uh, uh that was always my dad's favorite, uh, favorite like jobber guy was Pez Watley because of, he was from Chattanooga, but, um, yeah, I, I think uh, this is not a terrible promotion. This is not – this is – I mean, I'm sure because they couldn't run the major arenas in, in a lot of the areas where they ran and, you know, from a perspective, if you're looking at this as what they were able to draw, this is easily one of the weakest promotions we're going to talk about, you know. But in terms of making good use of the talent, uh, I don't – I, don't, I don't really don't think it's that bad, you know. I, 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 I don't
0: – I mean it's not good it's not great but it's not awful yeah and, and i wanted to, there is some footage from this promotion right like there, oh, there yeah. is, there's footage out there have you guys seen any i mean i i haven't but have you guys watched any i've, I've seen
1: watched. some of the tv yeah there's you know there's kind of some hilarious angles involving uh, uh pez Watley and and uh ronnie garvin and uh i mean it, it's a it was It was... I would argue... Kelly, you you probably... I I don't know if you'd agree with me or not, but I'll throw it to you. I I think it's funny because, in the one hand, they tried to... They they would sort of promote themselves as the more real alternative to the phonies in Memphis. But I think they were even more over-the-top version of Memphis at times. (laughs) (laughs) But without Lance Russell there to keep everything, you know, straight-laced. Yeah. Yeah, no, I
2: haven't seen a ton of it, Um bits and pieces there's a promo from I'm not sure what year it is where Randy Savage starts crying yes uh, <laughs> which is weird uh, I'm not even I can't even remember what the I mean, context is
0: he is he the same Savage as we know oh about? yeah
2: yeah pretty much totally you know the voice um, the hippie look the headband sunglasses um, just you know younger and not with the, the polish of the WWF uh, behind them um, there's a famous match, well, famous in, in our circles anyway, uh, of Savage and Ron Garvin in a cage from, I think, 1982. That's actually, I saw it once, and I thought it was a pretty good match. I mean, it, it's something that wouldn't appeal to everybody. It's kind of slow at times, but it was pretty gritty um, and um, had good psychology for sure. And I think Savage and Garvin feuded for a long time. Um, and yeah, I mean, haven't seen a a lot, uh, to make, uh, any real definitive comments. I mean, the, the whole story of them going, you know, uh, Savage would, would take a bunch of the guys and then they would show up at the Mid-South Coliseum or, or no, I guess it was in Louisville probably. and and challenge uh, the Memphis guys to fights in the parking lot and they'd be carrying guns and (laughs) at one point uh, Bill Dundee was I think no, Dundee had the gun and Savage took it from him and then pistol whipped him (laughs) (laughs) in the parking lot Uh. just some out of control stuff uh, going on behind the scenes and they actually would cut promos on the TV the ICW TV where they would uh, you know call the guys out on their I think using their real names and 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 you know kind of exposing the business in a way and calling them, you know, fakes and points like Dylan said. So it's very that side of it is interesting that they had this promotional war
0: going on. Eat, eat, your, men- heart, eat your heart out, Degeneration generation X. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally, yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. They um, they, they the- never got a tank though, right? No, 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 no
1: they, no, they, no, they didn't. But there's a possibility that Randy Savage actually, literally, made someone suck it. Not
0: just,
1: not just just figuratively, not just as a gesture. Um, because he was pretty nuts during this period. This is also the period I think of the famous, like, you know, probably embellished story of him being high on PCP and fighting with the police at a Waffle House. And then, like, like, so, like, this is like. Uh, in some ways, and I'm, I, look, I have no clue if that story's true or not. you know, wrestling lore, you know how that shit works, but this was sort of the era of of savage uh, being a savage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's another good
2: savage story from I, I believe it was the ICW where uh, he was leaving a match and there was an old lady at ringside and he thought you know she was calling him over and he you know he thought she wanted his autograph. So he got heads on over to her, and she ends up smacking him over the head with a crowbar. <laughs> it
1: was it was it was
0: Jerry Lawler in drag. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So uh, yeah, I mean this stuff sounds quite fun actually. I I might uh, I might watch some of it once I'm done with all the other things I'm going to watch. So maybe uh, you know, twenty twenty five, I'll watch some ICW. <laughs> but um. <laughs> Yeah, no, it it sounds uh, of interest. I bet uh, Bob Orton Junior was having good matches with some of these guys. Um, Oh sure, I can imagine him and Ron Garvin having good matches. I love the idea of the Miser like Angelo Poffo, like doing like a, like a kind of Fagan out of Charles Dickens, kind came getting like, game, game, like I, I think he I mean, he wore a mask. I mean, He's what warm. sort of? he sounds like, like, you know, like a Z list kind of bat 60s Batman villain demiser. You know, it's am- <laughs> amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, Ox Baker obviously is there again. Uh, it wouldn't be an outlaw promotion without Ox Baker. Right. Uh, yeah. No, I like, I love the idea of the man from Spain. <laughs> So yes, um, Thunderbolt Patterson. I, I mean, how much name value do you give Patterson in uh, '81? He was still around. Oh, uh, he could talk,
1: you know, and that, yeah. and you know
0: he, but he
1: had he had put himself on the margin. Well, I guess he would argue that that racism put him on the margins, but I think it's a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B with Thunderbolt. Um, yeah. And uh, you know he was he was on the margins of the of the business, but he was. He's a guy that people would have known, though. You know what I mean? Like, he's a guy that, that people would have known. Um, he, he had some name value in the South. Uh, even in the Upper South, where, where ICW ran a lot, uh, mm-hmm. he would not have been a totally obscure figure, or at least I wouldn't imagine. But, I mean, Boris Malenko, a serviceable heel? Great good, great talker. Boris Malenko's considered a... It's funny because Dean and Joe couldn't talk at all. You know, that's yeah. always the knock on them. That they couldn't talk. Uh, whereas Boris was not necessarily considered a terribly good in-ring performer, but was considered a great talker. And ICW oftentimes, and partially this is because of what we have that's actually available, that's made tape and still, you know, we've been able to document. But ICW, I think in a lot of ways, is known as a promotion for its angles and its promos, you know. And and, and that makes sense because, I mean, you got Savage, uh, you know, you got uh, Bob Orton, who I actually think is an under Um, uh, you know, Boris Malenko. So you've got guys who can talk,
0: right? So let's uh, let's think about a rating for the for the ICW uh, promotion. Then, uh, Kelly, what are you going to go? Um.
2: Well, I mean, I guess you know, yeah. Keep it in the context of 1981. Um, I mean, Savage. It's often been said that you know if he wasn't part of this outlaw thing with his father, he would have been a big star by this time in one of the main territories. Because um, by the time he gets to the WWF, he's already, what, on mid-30s, pretty much, or getting close to there. So a lot of his, you know, early years were um, spent um, on the fringes. Um, so he was a very good performer in 1981. It's not like he... Um, you know, was, uh, green or, uh, hadn't, uh, worked very uh, long at this point. So he was, uh, pretty good. Bob Horton Jr. was really good at this time. Bob Roop. Uh, I mean, he was a, a top heel in a lot of places and, uh, you know, main events. So he was okay. Um, it's, it's definitely better than Indianapolis. It's, um,
0: I, on, on the subject of Bob Root, by the way, I did make a mistake when we covered Mid-South. He wasn't champ until 82. I no. just thought I'd mention that.
2: Yeah. So I would say it's it's better than what World Class had going for it, I think. Because um, I think clearly 81 World Class was, you know, a period where they were struggling. And ICW in 80, 1981 may have been one of their uh, better years. I, I don't know the history as far as, you know, when their peak was. And I don't think, you know, they didn't run too many years after this. I think they were done by 83, essentially. Because that's when Savage finally goes to Memphis and then starts working there. Um, so I'm going to say... I uh, gave Southeast a five. I'm gonna be predictable. I'm gonna give ICW a five
0: too. Okay. I did, Lanny Poffo. Now he he was a big star in ICW as well, right? He was kind of booked as uh as as a as another top like it was Savage oh, yeah. and uh, Lanny Poffo. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Uh,
0: I Dylan, what do you, what do you make of a uh, rating wise? Um.
1: I don't think this is as strong as, as Southeastern. Uh, I just don't think there's in there's not enough. You could argue there's more potential maybe in the top handful of guys here, but I don't think there's as much guys that you can get immediate value out of as there was in Southeastern. Um, actually, I don't even think it's close. um, I'm going to say a four, but I could actually see an argument for as low as a three. Um, And and I think what makes me say four instead of three is really Savage, who was already by this point, like Kelly said, sort of a guy who was seen as a a potential building block, you know? Um, So they they did technically have a guy who you could, you know, see as a building block. But by the same token, I don't think anybody ever thought ICW was going to was going to do very well You know, like you, like It, it was I think I, And I don't know what the biggest house they ever drew was Or anything like that That'd actually be an interesting question to ask people But uh, somebody like Cornette might know, for example But To me, this was a promotion that was doomed to fail From the beginning So it's kind of It makes it more difficult To to judge Because even with these other promotions we've been talking about That are sort of on the periphery of the Of the big time territories they're either affiliated with the nwa or they're, they're they have their own you know sort of big universe carved out i mean this is a true outlaw promotion and it was never going to succeed over, in long term sense. you know it was never going to be a big money maker and they never made money or at least that's my understanding i mean this was the territory that never really made money lanny poffo has been candid about the fact that uh they did the best they could but Toward, mm-hmm. He doesn't. He doesn't even like talking about ICW because well, he, he, you know, he won't talk about it when he gets interviewed because it, it, it he, you know, it, it hurt of, it hurt them financially. I think so. Mm. I'll, I'll go with a four, but I think it's kind of a generous four. I, I mean, you could make a case for it as a three. I don't. I don't think you can make a case for it any lower than that. But I, I. I don't. It doesn't have the depth I like, and it doesn't have. Um, a sort of a, a few established names that I like either so it lacks both the things that I really want
0: uh, Now no, Dylan I, I'm going to have to I, I, I'm not I, you know, I just want to uh, put this to you okay So because you, you said it's not close with, with South East in, in, um, Randy Savage Lanny Poffo, Garvin Roop, uh, let's say Bob Wharton Jr and One Man Gang those six names who from Southeast are you putting up against those six who have More immediate value Uh, Armstrong, Fuller,
1: Golden uh, LeDuc, uh, Mongolian Stomper, who meant more As a box office draw than any of those guys In ICW Um, Even Stubbs, Dennis Condry uh, The the thing about uh, Southeast uh, You you know, when you look At it the core of guys are a core of guys that I think you could you can make money with in a regional outfit at this point, and, and whether they did or not, I don't know. But you, you, you can do it. When I look at the ICW core guys in 1981, you got a pre one man gang, one man gang. I, I would say I would say of the guys that are there, the guys that I would say you really could make money off of that you know you could make money off of in 1981. Would be Bob Orton, Randy Savage if he was promoted right in the right circumstances, which I don't think was possible in ICW. Um, and really, that's it. You know, I would say Thunderbolt, but Thunderbolt it was so goofy he wouldn't stay around for long enough. So you you can't even really trust him. Um, maybe Walter Johnson if that's former baseball if that's baseball Hall of Famer Walter Johnson. <laughs> But I don't think it is. I don't think that's who that is. I'm so, sure he was dead by uh, it, but. yeah, I, I think he was dead by then too. So, if if, <laughs> if, if 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 this is like if if they booked a Walter Johnson versus uh, Christy Matheson feud or something,
0: <laughs> maybe. But
1: I I don't I don't think that was possible at the time. So I really, you know, to me, there's only two, maybe three guys that you could really, I mean, make money with, not just survive. I mean, make money with. Whereas when I look at the Southeast roster, I see maybe six six or seven guys you can make money with. So, I mean, to
0: me, that's the difference. Okay, no, I just just want a clarification on that because I think to a lot of guys when you hear, though, just because of what they'd go on to do. Sure. um, You know, it sounds like, well, those are six big names and like, uh, you know, Jimmy Golden, like who's he type thing, you know? Sure. Oh, no,
1: that's a perfectly valid point. I mean, Like Bob Armstrong, for example You look at Bob Armstrong and say, well, he had a lot of kids Who became jobbers on WTBKs, right? But but Bob Armstrong in 1981 Would have meant more uh, uh, You know, on the average night In the average building Than anybody on that ICW roster I would argue uh, Or, or, you know, almost certainly anybody So, uh, that's not a knock on ICW I, I think it's impressive that they were able to survive As long as they did It's just it was a promotion that was doomed to fail, and I don't think they had. There's nothing in the roster. Maybe if they had one other guy that was as dynamic and innovative as Savage was for that time period, you could argue. But they don't. I mean, even the other guys that are there that are good, they're not like that. You know. So, I mean, I like Bob Orton, I like Ron Garvin, I, I like the one man gang, but they're not
0: Randy Savage. <laughs> I Lanny could cut a good po- poem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no I think 4 is about on the money I think 4 is about right for those guys um, Given what I give Given uh, my other ratings I think 4 is about right So let's move on to the, the final uh, The final of these Kind of like you know On the fringes promotions I guess That we've been looking at on this particular show Outlaws and on the fringes promotions Right um, And that's Mike LaBelle's LA Territory still I think technically part of the NWA mm-hmm. um, uh, now I mean I do have some uh, information about the the reasons for LA's decline uh, shall I get into this now do you think you sure, sure I go through the roster yeah. okay I mean well I, I've been uh, I, I'll, I should uh, I, given that I'm an academic I always feel like I should name my sources you know <laughs> and um, <laughs> Oliver and Jonathan yeah so well my <laughs> <laughs> My, my my main source for this was the jeff walton interviews on 57 talk.com which are great uh, which are really probably some of the best stuff along with the larry Masick uh, interviews that gary gary cubetta did um but i also uh, listened to one that um he did with uh, bob barnett a very very pissy bob barnett who gave a slightly kind of different version of events um so yeah, I, and I read around a little bit. I read especially on, uh, you know, Cafe Memories has got an LA section, believe it or not. So I read, I read around, you know, what the reasons for the decline in 81, uh, 82. So this is what I came up with. Um, in the early 70s, LaBelle had a local TV for um, a Channel, 7, uh, Channel 13 uh, in LA. For the uh, for the Anglo audience, so L.A. was kind of weird. They had like a split. They had a Spanish language audience, and they had a, a you know an American audience essentially because um, there were a lot of uh, Latinos in in the L.A. area, right? Um, what?
1: There there,
0: there, are, there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, just... M- Mexicans and things <laughs> in L.A. <laughs> um, in 1974. Uh, so, so in the early seventies, they had these two uh TV shows they had a they, they had an English language one on Channel 13 and they had and it like an international station where they ran a Spanish language show and then in, a, in 1974. Um, so the story goes there was some dude. Nobody knows who it was mm. who really didn't like pro wrestling. He, he could tell it was a work. He didn't like it and he kept on ringing the FCC. <laughs> um, and saying that the LA TV show is basically a is basically a uh, you know an hour long a ninety minute long commercial right, <laughs> um, so the FCC ended up fining LaBelle twenty five thousand dollars and had the show pulled from Channel Thirteen because it was deemed to have too much commercialized content. That is, it was considered to be something like an infomercial, uh, transparently set up to plug. Uh, upcoming Olympic shows, um, and specifically, I mean, so they basically tried to work around this, and they they tell the guys, you know, don't hype shows up, coming up or whatever. But oh. apparently, Greg Valentine was uh, going to be in a loser leaves town match with John Tolos, and he uh, he cut a promo hyping it like he was trying to get himself over. He was only young, and um, that that was the final that was the straw that broke the camel's back, and. Uh, they ended up getting their tv show pulled from uh pulled uh, and that left labelle with only the spanish show with only the spanish tv um and in, in those days um they like some tv stations would pay the promotion for the content um so they you know they were paying pretty good money for the slot and uh labelle didn't really think that he could get back on the local tv and uh the way walton tells it he doesn't he, he didn't even try you know um and he seemed to be pretty content to ride out getting in this TV money. Uh, and it was pretty good for him because he didn't have to, um, you know, because that money was going straight into the promotion. He didn't really have to pay the guys any extra for it, right? Because it wasn't a live gate. Um, also, this um, this was a 90-minute show, and they'd only put on two long matches in 90 minutes. So apparently it was boring. Um, but more importantly, it only required about four to eight workers maximum <laughs> well, per show. You know, if they if they put on a tag match, that was a couple more workers. But ultimately, they're only putting on two matches. Um, and then so, so that was one problem. And then like within the business, LaBelle was seen as being a really horrible payout guy. Uh, workers would typically make only $25 per show, uh, which even in the 70s wasn't very good if they worked uh, seven nights a week, that's only $175, which is not enough. You know, he's not giving their travel costs. He's not giving their accommodation. So, you know, a guy could barely get out in a living on that sort of money. So, you know, top names basically just stop going there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, to all of these things uh, combined to ensure that LaBelle's talent pool was very small, uh, no TV, no English language TV, poor payoffs, like why would you go there when you had all the other territories to work in? Um, eventually, the uh, ninety-minute uh, Spanish-language TV show was so, got so boring that even the uh, even the you know the Mexican fans and so on they just stopped watching, and uh, the international station who was showing it ended up pulling it, and they went they just went with a Mexican lucha promotion instead, um, and then uh, finally the Olympic Auditorium. Which is where they, you know, had many of their shows going back to the to the fifties. Um, that was bought out by a by a parking lot company, which uh, forced La to go to the smaller, more expensive and less atmospheric uh, L.A. Sports Arena. <laughs> and in uh, 1981, um, which is uh, you know what we're looking at right now, they brought in a Frankenstein gimmick called the Monster, and uh, especially on K.F.A. Memories. Um, this is like, fans say this turned, you know, what few fans they had left uh, was completely turned off by this monster gimmick. And uh, like, so legend has it, it killed the territory. Um, and then LA was pretty much the first territory to be invaded by Vince uh, Jr. Um, at the tail end of 1982. Because, uh, you know, Senior was already ill by this point. And I think, I'm not really sure exactly when uh, Vince uh, does the buyout, but it's around this time. And um, he cut a deal with uh, LaBelle and then basically screwed him. Like, he was like, you know, we'll come and promote shows there and you can help us promote shows in the area. And then basically, after a couple of months, he, you know, stopped like he didn't need his help anymore. Um, Vince paid for a slot on Channel 9. And uh, by January the 1st, 1983, he was running his own shows and had effectively seized the area. It was a hostile takeover, essentially. And uh, LaBelle's last show was in December 82. So that's basically the context before looking at this uh, car. Any other comments? Did, did I leave anything out there? <laughs> uh, I
1: think that's pretty thorough. Yeah, I mean, LA at its
2: peak was huge. One of the top, yeah, top places ever, maybe. Um, in the '60s with Blassie as the top heel, that was a golden age. And then in the early '70s, when Blassie turned babyface, they had like a second huge, you know, hot period, uh, culminating with the big show at the LA Coliseum, um, for the, the feud between Blassie and John Tolos, which was based off, I don't know if it was the first blinding angle, but it was the one that made blinding angle famous with the Monsell powder and, uh, Blassie being blinded. And yeah, I mean, they drew well, 25,000.
1: Tw- yeah. Even before that you had, uh, and uh, Baron Leone I think in 52 maybe yeah that's right which yeah. which was one of the one of the one of the absolute mm-hmm. biggest matches in wrestling history up to that point yeah. and yeah. uh, Lou Darro who was the promoter of record I believe at that time uh, was or around that time was re- is really one of the unheralded great promoters in, in American wrestling history uh, probably another sort of Hall of Fame level guy who's not really talked about, um, mm-hmm. and I, you know, L.A. being where it is geographically, there's, there's, and even though it's a large city, it, in some ways there's disadvantages to running a promotion in L.A. that are just sort of innate because of geography. Yeah. But um, I, uh, you know, this was uh, Mike Labelle was just a really shitty promoter, I, and I, I, I think that that tells you a lot i think that says his complacency i think till is probably the number one reason that that promotion fell off a cliff more so than any single thing that parv just talked about but i think all i think his complacency is complacency is sort of related to all those things you
0: know um
1: i don't
0: it just seemed like uh he was just content to take that spanish tv money for years like it was just like i he mean was, he
1: was i i don't I don't think he really cared about wrestling. I mean, again, I don't know the guy, but the impression I get from reading the books and talking to people who know a lot about LA wrestling history and, um, whether, whether it be Jeff Walton or Kurt Brown or whoever, the, the impression I get is that LaBelle did (laughs) wrestling was a thing. I think his mom had been the promoter before. Right.
2: Yeah. And,
1: and I don't, I don't think that he really cared. Like, like, to him it was just an easy way to make money you know this or well maybe not even an easy way is not even it was just the way he had to make money it was just something to do to make money um that's the impression i've always gotten of michael bell you know and it's funny because like the there's that famous you know jeff walton i think tells this story on one of those interviews where we mentioned you mentioned that Blasi tolus match at the coliseum you know yeah and you know Supposedly, Jeff Walton says that LaBelle was shocked at how poor it did. He thought they'd sell the place out. He thought they'd draw 100,000 people. <laughs> I mean, think think about this. This is the early 70s, what, 72 maybe? I 71, mean, yeah. I, like, the idea of drawing 100,000 people at that point, I mean, that's crazy. Especially for a promoter who wasn't even all that good a promoter. I mean, if you didn't have the talent of guys like Blassie and tolus and, 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 you know, Pepper Gomez and people, I mean... <laughs> This had been a rich t- ta- talent territory. I mean, that's important to, mm-hmm. to understand. You mm-hmm. know, some re- really big names over the years. I mean, this was at yep. one point a really rich area. And if you look at this roster, while in some ways it's not as bad as you might expect, um, it, it's it's not by any means a who's who in 1981.
0: Sure. Uh, j- just before I run uh, d- down it, the, the other thing uh, that I thought was interesting that Walton kept on talking about was uh, that Labelo always used to say there are only so many fans. There are only so many wrestling fans in LA, um, and I-, I was thinking about that. Like now, LA has got. I know, like, and I- this is a horrible thing to say, but um, wrestling is a pl- is a blue collar thing. Would you th- Would you say that's fair? It's like especially at this time it's not like it, it was really uh, the sort of thing that people with not a lot of money would uh would, would go and watch is that unfair dylan to say that i don't think it, it's i think it is more of a proletarian form of entertainment that's how i would put it yeah yeah now but my understanding is that la I mean it's not like LA is a completely bourgeois area is it? I mean obviously like uh, you know Beverly Hills is there and stuff but Oh no yeah, there's there's some of know, the
1: most some of the most infamous skid rows in America
0: are in LA. Yeah. right yeah. but you've got like uh, you know Compton Compton you know I I know it from my rap from my rap <laughs> listening. <laughs> but like my understanding is that it's pretty, you know LA's got quite a few rough areas and that the and that the Olympic uh, Auditorium was um was uh, itself pretty rough. So, like, I, I I wonder that I I remember years ago I started a thread like why has there never been a really really big promotion in California because they've got in terms of people it's the second biggest uh, you know next up other than the Northeast that's the most amount of people in America isn't it like in the um yeah. in the in the elections and things it, well I, well it counts for it counts well, for so many well, points
1: what you would say here's how I would frame it. California California this is how I would frame it is it's a area with multiple large metropolitan areas within a reasonable distance I mean they're not that close because San Diego Los Angeles and San Francisco the Bay Area are are all fairly spread apart and you got Sacramento but there are it is like the Northeast in the sense that it's a coastal region with a lot of, of large cities. Yeah, I mean, if that's what you're getting at, then yes.
0: Yeah, and and, I mean, this is one of the things that people don't really talk about that much, which is that Vince Senior had already done quite a lot of... Like, if you think about it, um, the WF at that time could have been... uh, You know, you could have easily had a promotion in Philly, a promotion in New York, a promotion in, um, you know, Boston, possibly... Like, or like, or the, you know, um, you could have added at least three or four kind of smaller territories Easily. within within the WF, right? So it, it, WF was already kind of like a super-duper, like a super territory, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and he'd already, like, managed to unite a number of different promoters under the under the one label. They did all that stuff in the 60s, yeah. um, you know, uh, the transition from Capital to WWWF. And in LA, in LA, there wasn't a promoter as enterprising as that. So, you know, Roy Shire, uh, I think Shire went out of business right before uh, 1981. I think Shire had basically gone. Um, he wasn't running any shows by 81, which is why we're not looking at Roy Shire. Um, oh,
2: yeah. The last um, he, show, I believe, was like January 81.
0: Yeah, so I, I didn't Back think Christmas. it was worth looking at looking okay. at Shire. But, um, like, if you think about it, if so, if either Shire or La had had the had the foresight or had the ambition or the drive, they could have taken all of all of California and had something like a West Coast WWF, you know? Maybe, you know maybe, maybe. But there, there, there.
1: I, I'm not saying that's impossible, but okay. There's a, there are there are other. This is I I don't I always feel. It's tough when you're dealing with stuff like this Because my tendency is always Toward to, to saying no Like my, I always err on the side of saying No, 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 no And I'm not sure that that's necessarily the right way to view it But There were Issues there That I don't think the, You know The WWF um, Infrastructure I think in the northeast was better when it came from going to place to place like that i think the talent pool was more centrally located there generally speaking um it's because it's easier to rotate talent like when you're not going all the way clear cross country you know um i i think the media markets were more dynamic in the northeast and that's that's a big thing because even though this was before well not technically not before cable but at the very origins of cable Media markets had a lot to do with, in my, at least in my mind, uh, you know, with, with how big a, a place would have been viewed. And um, I don't think that they're – I mean, San Diego and, and the Bay Area are, are big areas, and they have been for years. But I don't know that they have – that sort of East Coast media bias that us Yanks always talk about is a very real thing. And really? you know, I I, I I feel like that's something that is hard to,
0: it's but hard D- to dismiss that. D- but Dylan, they've got Hollywood right there.
1: Hollywood yeah, but, is but, there. but but yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and um, I get I get what you're saying, but ev- like even now, okay, even now, in the United States, the. You know, when you when you talk about sports, especially which wrestling and sport, that's a debate that I don't even really necessarily want to have. But I think, in the sense that a lot of the you know sort of proletarian fan base would have been following both things. Right. Even now, there are people who live in L.A. today, probably quite a few of them that will complain about East Coast media bias. Even now, in in 2014. Right. Um, You know, so. I, again, part of this is just my natural pessimism. I think um, I, I, I'm not saying that there's not anything to it, sure. but I, I, I I'm very because it also takes it takes the right kind of promoter, and Labelle was not the right kind of promoter. Shire yeah. was a polarizing figure; he wasn't the right kind. Well, of
0: promoter. you know, Shire tried it. I know Shire, Shire tried to come in on Labelle multiple times, from what Bolton was saying, but uh, like they, they ended up knocking him back every time.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's it's also too. Um, I think there are, and I'm sure there are going to be listeners who hear this, particularly people in Philly who are going to say this bullshit. I think there's a big there the similarities in culture, personality, sort of day to day social atmosphere between Philly and New York and even D.C. were stronger in 1981, uh, or even before that. Than the the cultural similarities in say the Bay Area in L A, uh, you know, L A would have been much more Hispanic, for example. To just take one one example, um, right. so this was not that there weren't, you know, a, wasn't a sizable Hispanic population in San Francisco, but I mean, you know, uh, it's just there are there are quirks here, and I'm I'm resistant to the notion that that would have been. I'm not saying you're you're saying it would have been easy but i'm resistant yeah. to the notion that that would have that, that it would have been tough
0: it would have, it would been, have been it would have been dip more difficult than it was in the northeast as well i saying. think so yes okay. i think i think probably substantially so uh, but and, i mean i mean his, history bears it out cuz it didn't happen right so i mean you know sure oh, okay well, any other comments kelly before we run down this roster no let's let's get into the roster all right chris adams john tolos The assassin, the actual assassin. Um, Peter Maivia, El Mongol, Mike Masters, Tom Pritchard, Dynamite Kid, uh, Dos Caras, Mil Mascaras, uh, Salvatore (laughs) Bolomo, Ken Wayne, uh, AKA Danny Davis, uh, Billy Graham, uh, Troy uh, Sun, Monster, Fishman, uh, Mario uh, Venezuela, who's that, Valenzuela, Victor Rivera, Joe Lightfoot, Ox Baker, there he is again, uh, Al Madrill, uh, Hector Guerrero, Mando Guerrero, Toro Tanaka, uh, you know, the WF Tag Champ from uh, from the 70s, uh, Great Goliath, Tim Talltree, uh, John Davidson, Rick Davidson, Bobo Brazil, uh, Jean LaBelle, uh, Tim Flowers, uh, Kiss, Steve Travis, Rookie of the Year, El Kanak, uh, and Carlos Massa. So, uh, well, uh, Kelly, you haven't talked for a while. What do you make of this one? <laughs> uh, well, it's,
2: um, it's an interesting collection of names, for sure. I didn't know the Dynamite Kid worked in L.A. in 1981, for example. Um, yeah. Uh, this is, um, it, it was, yeah, it was, as been stated already, a promotion that was, you know, breathing its last uh, breaths at this point. Um, But they did have the band KISS uh, with them that year, so that (laughs) must have counted for something in 1981. But uh, probably too late to save the territory at that point. Um, I, I, you know, Boba Brazil again, um, as one of your top stars, not a good thing. Ox Baker, I believe, has been in pretty much every uh, area we've looked at today, except for Southeastern, I think, so. he got around. (laughs) <laughs> sort of turning up in all these random uh, places. Uh, I guess his value wasn't too high.
0: Well, he had to keep on winning because he'd kill a man in each state. Oh, right. Yes.
2: Puncher. He was wanted <laughs> in two or three states because of
0: uh, killing wrestlers
2: uh, with a third punch. Uh, Billy Graham in 1981 was in the depths of like a really serious drug problem uh, and probably couldn't contribute too much at this point. Mass Grass of course, was a huge star. Um, but I, I'm 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 thinking he didn't you know spend a ton of time in LA at this point. I could be wrong.
0: No, I took these directly from the cards, and he he, he crops up more than you'd expect. Yeah, uh, it, this isn't like this was at least maybe like ten ten or more appearances. For, right, and he was
2: huge in the he 60s. Was his, and 70s he,
0: was, in LA. he was historically connected to that place. Right? Oh yeah,
2: he'd, oh yeah. I mean, huge in the late 60s. That's where he first got over in the states. Of course, was in LA. Um, Victor Rivera, we talked about him recently on Titans. He basically for years he would go back and forth between LA and New York each year. You know, uh, he was one of the rare guys who actually did that and worked, you know, consistently for both uh, territories uh, during the same year. And he was actually a pretty big star in LA, um, bigger, much bigger in LA than he ever was in New York. And he would uh, keep coming back over the years. Uh, Tolos uh, by this point was almost done. Um, yeah, it's it's. I've seen some of the TV from this time, and it is like you described it pretty dull. Uh, it's they're still in the Olympic, uh, but you know, the 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 soul of the promotion is is gone. It's basically, you know, a vegetable (laughs) at this point, almost still, still a body. It's still you know breathing, but there's nothing behind the eyes. It's, it's, it's all it's but not, dead.
0: It, it seemed like they were booking Chris Adams as the top uh, as the top star there, which I found a bit unusual. For what yeah. I could See with the cards.
2: Yeah, I think he. Uh, had, I mean, by this point, Mike Masters, for example, was a job guy in WWF in 1979. Um, Part of you probably forgot, but we did do a or he didn't have a match way back when, and I did do a bio on him. And almost,
0: almost certainly I've forgotten. Kelly, yeah, you know that.
2: <laughs> I know that. But, for example, a jobber in, in the WWF, I believe Masters had a run as the American champion in LA in 1981. I mean, he's actually, I've seen him in Portland, he, was, he had a good look, and uh, he was kind of a guy that, you know, a few breaks could have maybe been somewhat of a star, but, you know, no, L.A. was relying on anything they could get at this point. And the monster, it's easy to say the monster was what killed the promotion. And it, it's very, you know, it's as bad as it sounds. I mean, I've seen the footage or some of the footage where, you know, he's basically doing like a mummy gimmick very slowly, moving with his arms out. And it's um, it, it doesn't make for very entertaining matches, to say the least. I don't know if it killed the territory. I mean, the territory, it was, you know, just hanging on probably by a thread at this point um, and they just didn't have any any valuable names. I mean the Guerreros th- there would have been the, some of the homegrown guys that would have still been able to draw a bit but it was pretty dire um, in LA in
0: 1981. Uh, Dylan?
1: Uh, you know what? Here's how I would describe this promotion. I'd be interested to hear if you guys would give me an amen on this. Um, I think this is Portland without Buddy Rose. And
2: yeah, what, what,
1: what I mean by that is there are guys you can point to that are talented. You know what I mean? There, there are guys you can point to that are, are good. They're good at what they do. You know, there's some, uh, there's the, there's the, some past their prime guys uh, who, who have name value but are way past their prime. Uh, and actually, probably the best example would be two former w, you know, WWF champions because you got Billy Graham here, and then in Portland you had Stasiak. Um, yeah. You've got um, sort of a, a cast of preliminary guys that have, you know, whatever. They, they, they have their utility as undercard players, but nobody's going to think much of them you know there's your young up-and-comers your 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 Pritchards and Dynamites who would go on to have notable careers in Adams too to one degree or another but they were not there yet neither none of them had reached the the level of of stardom uh or, or you know significance to me this reminds me a lot of Portland but there's nobody Rose you know and 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 that you know there's no guy who you could just say all right Maybe your roster's weak right now, but we're going we're gonna to ride you out because if we put somebody with you, we know we can at least maintain for the time being. There, there's nobody there like that, you know. So um, it's not – it's probably not as disastrous as you might think, given – I mean, like, you look at this and you got the Guerreros who, you know, in L.A., you know, where Chavo had been a really big star just a few years before. You've got, uh, you know, you've got
0: um, – Chavo himself um, isn't there, though, notably. No, no,
1: no, but, but that name. You know what I mean? Yeah, that name, yeah, yeah. the Guerrero name. You know, and you've got, you've got uh, Moscaris and Das Karas, who presumably would have had some real value with uh, uh, you know, the, the, the Latino population. Um, you know, John Tolos, yes, he was toward the end, but he had been a huge star. So there are guys where you <laughs> can sort of look at him and say, this should have had value. They should have been able to do something with this. But they what they don't have is that guy that you can build around. You know what I mean? Like I don't think there's yeah. anybody. Adams, you know, dynamite you couldn't build around. Pritchard, not really. Um, Adams is probably the best bet. But you know he was a he, he was a, a Brit, which I think would have worked against him in a lot of ways. No offense, Parf. Uh And, and uh, he he also uh, you know was was a completely different guy. I mean, he's not somebody with any history there. He's not even somebody that would have had, you would have been following in the wrestling magazines, for example, you know?
0: So, He seemed like a really weird pick to put on top for me.
1: Like, well, like, I at mean, this point. I think he, he probably had a flashy style. You know, he, he, you know, he had a good look, good, good looking baby face. Mm. Um, but, I just... It, it's funny because you look at it, I, or anyway, I look at it and I think this really isn't that bad. But then like, this is kind of one of those promotions that you look at the roster and if you, if you look at it just as a surface level glance, you say, that's not so bad. But then if you pull back and think about it, 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 it actually quickly sort of emerges as, as much worse than it initially looks. Yeah. And, the, you know, the monster on that, I would, I, what I would say is I think the monster is a symbol. I don't buy the argument that he killed the promotion. I don't buy that at all. Um, I think what he is is he's a symbol that you can point to and say, "This is this is what did it." Just, just like you know, he he's representative of an era that was a disaster. And you know, you see that with every promotion. You know, you you see that with any promotion that goes out of business. There's always these sort of emblems or iconic moments or whatever that people point. Like Vince Russo is a perfect example. I think Vince Russo is absolutely terrible. But WCW, I, I honestly believe WCW would have gone out of business whether Vince, if Vince Russo had gone there or not. Yeah, they might have yeah. lasted a little bit longer, but they, they, they were they were never going to survive. It, yeah. That business model with the people they had in charge and all those egos, whether Vince Russo was there or not. Russo's just an easy target because he was such a fuck-up. And I feel like the Monster's probably sort of similar yeah. in that regard.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you there on both uh, the Monster and with, uh, and with Russo, believe it or not. Um, yeah, I, I think... I mean, my first reaction when I looked at this was like, oh, it's not so bad. It's not as awful as it could have be. But then you think, like, a lot of these guys are old. Uh, Tolos is 50. Uh, Peter Maivia has got to be in his mid-40s. The Assassin isn't any spring chicken. El Mongol is 50 years old. Um, uh-huh. like, he was a big star in the 60s, you know. Uh-huh. Um, Tura Tznakka, like, he's surely way past it in 1981. Uh... You know, Brazil. We've talked about Billy Graham is worth nothing, really. in 1981. like he can't even give you. Like, really, he isn't. Though, come on, uh, Salvatore Palomo. I mean, like, the, the the only thing that makes me think twice about my rating on this is the the value of the Spanish names of the yes. of the Mexicans yeah. and how well they may have drawn with the with those fans. Like, um, I have no real concept of what like a, a Mexican in LA would have thought of Canuck, for example in 1981 uh, do you Dylan I I, I, I honestly don't um, I, 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 class I, we look at but I,
1: I will say this um, I, I will say this these guys they would they they were certainly known. and, and I think the reason that you know that is because there were uh, Lucha promotions that were able to come in right after the fact and sort of fill a vacuum and be fairly successful. You know, I mean, they, they, you know, Lucha, you could, uh, you know, t- I don't know the history of Lucha promotions in, in uh, Southern California that well. Um, but I do know that, you know, they were able to come in and they were able to cater to real audiences there after LaBelle yeah. went out of business and probably even while he was still in business. So, yeah. They would. It wouldn't have been unsubstantial at all. I mean, I think it's a mistake to sort of say, you know, well. And I'm not saying you're doing this, but I don't think you are. But I think it's a mistake to say, well, you know, we we don't know how big a deal. And there weren't the 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 you know the Latino the Hispanic population wasn't as large back then. Well, no, but it was still pretty fucking big. You know, (laughs) and their TV was Spanish speaking,
0: so you can't overlook that either. Fishman's a guy i see on cards and things like he's a name i see bandied about um was he a star at all Do you know uh
1: i have no clue to what degree <laughs> he was a star at that point in that area
0: Right. yeah but, but they've got mascaras so you know I, um yeah i'm gonna have to factor all of that into my rating. so I, while i think about that kelly what's yours <laughs> uh are you sure this is the assassin? This is this is
2: Jody Hammer. Yeah, yeah,
0: it is. Yeah, it really is. Oh,
2: okay. Well, then that that boosted a little bit. Um. Oh, wait a Are you sure that's not Tom
0: Ernesto? Yeah, it's not. It's not Tom Ernesto. I mean, Tom Ernesto oh, no. was uh, involved, but it's not him. He, okay. I know he he definitely didn't wrestle again. Like. Uh, yeah.
2: His- yeah, I'm pretty sure he was completely done by this yeah. point. I think, he, was, I
0: think he was injured or something. Like he he didn't he never put the boots on again.
2: Yeah, there was countless other assassins at this time. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, Billy Graham was only a few years removed from being one of the biggest stars in the business, but at this point, I don't he wasn't even working that much. Uh, like I said, you know, his drug problem was pretty bad at this point. This is where he kind of drops off the face of the earth, and is even rumored to be dead in. Um, the Northeast, uh, thanks to a Gorilla Monsoon uh, newspaper article <laughs> that he never uh, retracted later when he came back. Though. So a lot he's, of people... He's, had...
1: Billy Graham, Superstar Billy Graham is literally dead. That's what he wrote. Yeah, he's literally, he's literally <laughs> hung himself from the rafters of the police back <laughs> and died. Oh, God.
2: But they say when he came back doing the Kung Fu gimmick in 1982 in, in WWF that he didn't draw well in Philly because the, the article had been published in a Philly paper and then the fans, you know, thought this wasn't the real Billy Graham. And, and you know, <laughs> the drastic change in gimmick uh, would have helped to, uh, you know, keep that myth going. Uh, no, this is not a good roster. It's not WWA. It's Central States is starting to look better and better, remarkably. <laughs> <laughs> with each passing uh, territory we look at. Because uh, I keep going back, and I'm seeing, well, they got this guy and that guy that are better. I mean, Chris Adams was going on to bigger and better things for sure. Dynamite Kid, Tom Pritchard, um Masqueros was a big, big star at this time still. Um, this feels like a... Uh, it's, it's, feels like a two to me, L.A. So uh, right in the central state. I, I'm D- wishy-washy D- washy on my rating.
0: Dylan, D- 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 what do you
1: think? I don't... I can't go quite that low because <laughs> of, you know, the Guerreros and because of the the Taurus brothers. Like, I, I just don't feel comfortable going quite that low, but I'm going to give it a three. I don't, There's nothing here... And I'm going to point again to the Buddy Rose factor You know but you need, you need to have somebody If it's going to be a promotion that's struggling Or having a weak time roster You know like the roster's weak at this time You need You need somebody who you can at least Center things around And you can take your various parts As weak as they may be And sort of rotate them through and maximize each of them And they don't have Anybody like that So I don't think it's it's not um, it's not the worst, but I, but it's you know I have to give it a three. I think it's a, it's a bad roster, all things considered, but not a horrific roster.
0: Yeah, I'm, I, I'm closer to Dylan than to, to Kelly on this uh, I was thinking three. The only thing that makes me think like I could push to a 3 point5 or a four is that the, um, you know Tolos was a legend. Uh, Peter Maivia was a legend in LA. Um, you know, Masqueros we've talked about. Like Billy you know I had, uh, Walton always said that Billy Graham never drew anything in LA. But uh, you know, he he was a big name, I guess, in the business. Um despite you know, where he was in eighty one. So you know, um like I I feel like their big stars are bigger than the Portland stars, uh Dylan in terms of name value, even though they're guys in their late 40s and 50s. Um, but yeah, three. I think three, three is about fair. Okay. I, I've talked myself out of it. I, I'm not going to go <laughs> Don't
1: be crazy, man. Okay, man.
0: <laughs> so so noted, noted
1: conservative parv.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. All my friends always uh, always accuse me of being conservative, like little c conservative, you know. Uh, anyway, um, Right. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that was the, (laughs) that was the, um, the also-ran promotions, I guess. Uh, that was interesting. (laughs) The dynamic promotions. The 1981 roster analysis series will continue on Titans Extra soon with a real look at the Canadian promotions. Kelly cannot wait. Extra, extra, read the of Extra, Extra, all about it. it. The read it. About extra, it. Read
1: extra, extra read read all about it. it.